Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to The Brief, a short, sharp snapshot into the region's policy landscape. This week, we're looking at a debate currently raging in Australia about how to balance between two different sorts of rights, the right to religious freedom and the right not to be discriminated against. In the aftermath of Australia's vote for marriage equality, then Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull commissioned an expert panel to examine whether Australia's laws sufficiently protect the right to freedom of religion. The review was finally published in early October this year, after it was leaked to Fairfax Media. The leaked review has sparked considerable outrage in Australia, particularly over the suggestion that faith-based schools ought to have the right to turn away gay students and teachers, and to refuse to hold same-sex marriages on school grounds. In response, during the lead-up to the Wentworth by-elections, The New South Wales government promised to introduce a new Religious Discrimination Act to protect gay students. Last week, the heads of 34 Anglican schools in New South Wales then wrote an open letter urging federal MPs to protect their right to select staff who, quote, support the ethos of the school. The right they refer to belongs to the Sex Discrimination Act of 1984, which includes exemptions allowing faith-based schools to employ teachers mirroring the values of their religion. As it stands, the New South Wales government has enshrined anti-discrimination protections for gay students at faith-based schools, but seems to be dragging its feet with the protection of teachers against the same discrimination. Here to mediate the debate between religious freedom and anti-discrimination is Professor Margaret Thornton. Margaret is a professor of law at the Australian National University, specialising in socio-legal issues and feminist scholarship. She is a barrister of the Supreme Court of New South Wales and the High Court of Australia and has published extensively on issues relating to discrimination and the law. She is a fellow of the Academy of Social Sciences in Australia and a foundation fellow of the Australian Academy of Law, and her work on the legal academy and the legal profession is internationally recognised. Thank you for joining us today, Margaret. Thank you very much for having me. So the release of the Religious Freedom Review has certainly sparked a hot debate in Australia. How does this compare with Australia's religious freedom debates in the past? Is there anything at stake now that wasn't previously? Well, in terms of the debates, um, I think it's quite interesting if you go back to when the Sex Discrimination Act was being debated in 1983. So there was the notion of the non-discrimination principle in terms of sex. However, The institutional churches have always been quite strong uh, in Australia, and so they demanded uh, exemptions. And particularly if there was someone basically to be employed, 
whose uh, employment would somehow offend the religious susceptibilities of adherents of a particular religion. So the, the, the wording is a little bit strange, but that's been continued. And so that seemed to be acceptable to people. So there was certainly concern expressed, but that that continued. And there's always a debate, uh, a tension between equality and freedom. So when you have equality, there's less freedom. But when there's more freedom, there's less equality. And I think as we've become more conservative as a society, the focus is on freedom, individual freedom and well, in this case, institutional and religious freedom. And so it's really come to the fore. And uh, indeed, it was only a few years ago under the Abbott government, we had a freedom commissioner appointed to the Australian Human Rights Commission, which seems rather strange. So there was a great deal of focus upon individual and institutional freedom. And so that has really been, I think, at the basis of this movement. And because there's no legislation then prescribing, proscribing discrimination on the ground of religion at the federal level, the present areas in which there's legislation are race, sex, disability and age. Now, it's interesting that there's no exemption in terms of race or disability or age in terms of religion, it's it's really only in terms of sex. But just to mention the um, the grounds in terms of sex are much wider uh, in the Act. So it's uh, as well as sex, sexual orientation, gender identity, intersex status, marital or relationship status, pregnancy or potential pregnancy, or breastfeeding. So all those subgrounds then are included within the Sex Discrimination Act. And so they're all suspect, whereas the other grounds that I mentioned, race and disability, are not suspect in the same way. So all of those categories that you've just listed that are included in the Sex Discrimination Act, yes, religious schools are exempt from anti-discrimination attitudes towards all of those categories? Well, I mean, what is interesting is that the, uh, the Act actually um, has a, a heading in terms of education, which says it is unlawful to discriminate on all those grounds in terms of access to a school for a student or in terms of expelling a student. But then there's the exemption, but. And so that's where the issue of religious susceptibilities come in. Well, first of all, there I suppose one can, in terms of employment and distinguish employment and education, we can distinguish between core and non-core employment so that the core employment would be employing a priest or a rabbi or something like that. And there's no question there about, you know, it being gender-specific. So, you know, that's, that's accepted. But on the other hand, why have an exemption for someone, a maths teacher or a gardener, for example, you know, what is, what is their particular... Uh, religious susceptibilities or their um, gender identity actually have to do with performance uh, of the of the task. So it's you can see it's sort of over inclusive there. And in terms of access for students, we also have that exemption applying, uh, which is a, a rather tricky in terms of young people. 
who may be prepubescent and really are not sure what their sexuality is. I mean, how can a, you know this this sort of judgment be made? So it so it does seem seem rather peculiar. Now that's been there in terms of education, but it really hasn't been used much. The provision has been used in terms of employment, and so the way it's operated is that well, individuals you know who are gay have not come out. And so no one really knows uh, in the school about their gender identity. Uh, But there have been cases in the past where a woman who became pregnant who wasn't married, for example, or lived uh, in a de facto relationship, that was seen to offend religious susceptibilities. But there have been hardly any, any cases that have gone to a formal hearing about those cases. There have been some in other jurisdictions in New South Wales in in terms of the Wesley uh, City uh, mission about a gay couple adopting um, a child and they didn't succeed, but it went on for quite a few years and there were a number of hearings and there have been a few others in, in other states as well in terms of access to IVF and and things like that. But but just focusing on the Federal Act, there's, there has been hardly anything that has come up there. It's interesting that you mentioned that, actually, because I wanted to talk about the letter that was written by the heads of Anglican schools. And in their initial remarks, they actually said that, I'm quoting here, the debate has been polemicised as the right to expel gay students with little evidence that this occurs, and the right to dismiss gay staff members, again, with little evidence that this occurs. By and large, across faith-based schools, the issue at hand is the right to employ staff who support the ethos of the school. Uh, It's true that the media has focused largely upon the right to expel students and staff based on their sexuality. In your opinion, do you think that this issue has been wrongly polemicised or misrepresented? Well, no, I uh, I don't, because uh, what I feel quite strongly about is that these private institutions are the recipients of government funding. So it seems to me somewhat anomalous that they feel that they are not subject to the law of the land when they're actually receiving substantial public monies for the running of that institution. So on the one hand, right, we we obey the law of the land, but we are special and we don't have to obey this particular provision. So I think that that is, that is actually inappropriate. I think if institutions wish to operate as truly private, they should not be the recipient of government funding. Uh, And do you think that discrimination against teachers and discrimination against students should be being looked at as two different issues? Because that is essentially the approach that's being taken in New South Wales. Well, I think it's interesting and I think that's really political um, because of the way it's come up. And so I think probably many people in the community, probably most people, see something irreprehensible about discriminating against children, really, in terms of of education, because, you know, it may be their parents decide they go to this school or whatever. They're, They're not really autonomous. However, I think many adults look upon others, uh, you know, teachers and the gardeners and the <laughs> clerical assistants and so on, differently and think they have a choice about sexuality. They may, they may not, but, you know, there, there is that understanding or misunderstanding within the broader community. And I think politically it's just come up 
apropos of the Wentworth by-election, the focus upon children, which has never really been the focus in terms of anti-discrimination legislation or the exemption in the past, rather than perhaps a movement in terms of the employment of gay teachers and so on. What confuses me about this is that students may have the right to attend any school they wish regardless of their sexual orientation, but those schools themselves maintain the right to selectively employ a specific sexual orientation. How can we say that children are protected from discrimination if they're at institutions that discriminate against? Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Their identity in other ways. Well, we can't really accept that the the wording of the of the new new provision that the Morrison government proposes is actually so difficult to understand and so complex, perhaps uh, the religious institutions relying on it think, well, no one's going to really challenge it. And they probably aren't because it's so complex and it's going to take a barrage of lawyers to try and deal with it. And uh, lawyers haven't made a very good job of interpreting anti-discrimination legislation in, in the past. They don't really understand it. It's something that doesn't fit easily into our Anglo-Australian uh, legal tradition in terms of, say, tort law. If you're run over by a bus, you know, there's an injury and it's possible then to institute suit um, against the wrongdoer. However, if you're looking at an instance of discrimination legislation, you're looking at what is often a psychological harm primarily a psychological harm, although there may be economic harm in terms of losing one's job or something like that. But human rights, I mean, are fairly new, you know, post-World War II and not well understood, I think, within the legal community and indeed more generally within the society. Changing definitions of identity and sexual identity, I suppose, that, that area and that space is evolving a lot, even just linguistically. So does that affect the way that Perhaps, you know, for instance, the Sexual Discrimination Act established in a time where these words of gender and sexuality had different meanings. Does that complicate issues here? Well, there, there was no prescription in terms of gender identity and sexuality uh, at the time of the Sex Discrimination Act in 1984. This was an amendment that was effected only in 2013. So we're looking at something that's actually quite recent and so that's another reason, I think. And because of the, I think, ambivalence on the part of some members of the community, particularly politicians, as we saw with the same-sex marriage debate, the Abbott government was quite opposed to that. And, it was, you know, some of the discussion was, was rather odd, say, you know, peculiar at the time. And so there is that uncertainty and the view that, religion should be protected. As I said, this is an, another new area suggesting that we have discrimination proscribing that religious discrimination. Just to play devil's advocate for a moment, 
John Wilson, the moderator general of the Presbyterian Church, yesterday responded to the current debate with a letter of his own in which he reminds the Prime Minister that, quote, the binary nature of gender is a foundational precept of the belief and teaching of Christian faith. Uh, We've been focused on the issue of discrimination against staff and students, but do you think that the removal of these exemptions would in fact affect the theology of schools? Oh, not at all. I don't think it could possibly, you know, have anything to do with what's happening internally. And I mean, even going to that question of the binary nature, we know that's been totally disrupted by present developments in in terms of psychiatry and medicine and so on. So that's a, an outdated notion. And indeed, I think that the inclusion of this amendment from 2013 in the Sex Discrimination Act is a recognition of that. So it's not a separate act, but it's actually part of the Sex Discrimination Act. So it's a direct recognition that the binary approach is outdated. Do you think that the removal of exemptions will have a big impact on changing attitudes like those espoused by John Wilson in this letter? Do you think that it's going to have an immediate impact on the culture of these schools? Well, when you say the removal, I mean, it's not the removal. I mean, there's a removal of one section, but then there's an inclusion of another section uh, in the, at least in the federal act. I know it's different at the state level, but at the federal level, I mean, there's a very peculiar section proposed in terms of indirect discrimination, in terms of the understanding of the meaning of reasonableness, which is very hard to actually make sense of because there are a whole list of things that can be considered in terms of uh, reasonableness, the nature of the disadvantage and the feasibility of mitigating the disadvantage and whether the disadvantage is proportionate to the harm, then and, <laughs> this is these are the new sections, in terms of looking at the the question of the religious susceptibilities of adherence and uh, the best interests of the, of the student. So it's all those things, you see, which, which I suggest is actually incoherent. I don't know how someone could, you know, a lawyer could actually make sense of that in constructing and interpreting what is reasonable in a particular circumstance. I think it's incredibly complex. But anyway, that's the proposal and I think it's to go before federal parliament later this month on the 26th of November. And what do you expect to come out of that? <laughs> I don't have a crystal ball, uh, so I don't know. I mean, certainly I'm part of a, a group that's making a submission opposing that, uh, suggests that there's no, there's no place for that. It should actually be removed. So I don't know. I think that there'll be earnest debate about it. But it's using that funny old-fashioned wording about religious susceptibilities of the adherence of a particular reason, you know, whatever that means, uh, is hard in itself, plus all those other things that that I listed. So how can one say, I mean, I think it will end up being a sort of left-right debate And because this whole inquiry into religious freedom has come out of the fact that the right wing of politics has become much stronger and more vociferous since the time of the Abbott government. What kind of 
policy implementation do you think we need to see in order to eliminate or reduce this sort of ambiguity that you're speaking about? Well, I think just uh, not include these exemptions at all. I think if you're going to have um, an anti-discrimination legislation that says it is unlawful to discriminate on the grounds of sexuality, etc., that long list that I mentioned before, well, that's the end of it. Then you shouldn't complicate the situation by having exemptions that don't make any sense or extremely difficult to interpret when you're coming down to the question of both children uh, attending faith-based schools and people being employed in those institutions to, to teach secular subjects or to act as gardeners or whatever. Since you've been working in Australian law for so many years and you have a first-hand insight into the capacity for law to affect people's lives for both good and bad, how optimistic are you that the religious freedom debate unfolding in Australia and the changes currently on the table are ultimately going to be positive for our society? Well, I am a little bit concerned about about it because I think, you know, it's the the general swing to the right and also... I think the rise of fundamentalist religions globally that's been quite significant. So in terms of Islam, for example, and then there happens to be that assumption that someone who is an an adherent of Islam is going to engage in terrorism, these very slick connections that are made. So that has been one argument. And it has, I think, then triggered off this a view about fundamentalist Christianity, which has become much stronger. So if you go back to 1984, the Hawke government and then the the Keating government, really there was a total disjuncture between, I think, religion and politics. So, you know, it was the idea... Australia is a secular society. We don't have an established church like the Church of England in the UK, for example. We don't have that at all, a secular society, although we've accepted some of those religious traditions and the celebration of certain days and prayers in Parliament and all of that sort of thing. However, there was, I think, quite a strong notion of what is the secular until, I think, the Howard years, and we had not just a swing to the right in terms of politics, but also... I think, a resurgence of interest in religion and fundamentalist Christianity. Marion Maddox has written a a brilliant book called God Under Howard and actually talks about this uh, connection between politics and religion, how it became very strong and is strong uh, in the US, but had never been strong here. But we were then importing speakers uh, from the US and ideas from the US. And so we had prominent members of parliament, such as Peter Costello, attending Hillsong, which is a fundamentalist, you know, religious group, and things like that. So I think it was very interesting. And then we had the Plymouth uh, Brethren, which is one particular fundamentalist Christian sect. They don't believe in voting, but nevertheless, were actually pouring all this money into supporting political parties and conservative political causes. So, you know, there's been a really interesting change, I think, in the Australian political religious dynamic over the last 20 years. 
What direction it might go, I don't know. But I'd like to think that we are basically a secular society and believe in the non-discrimination principle that everyone being treated equally, regardless of sex, race, disability, whatever, sexuality, religion. Like you, I'd like to see some clarity come out of this debate. So let's hope that happens in the coming weeks. Uh, Thank you so much for coming in to talk to us today. It's been really great having you. Thank you. Don't forget that we would love to hear any comments or thoughts on this podcast or any of our other content. You can get onto us on Twitter. We're at Apps Policy Forum, Facebook, the Asia Pacific Policy Society, or chuck us an email, podcast at policyforum.net. We've got our usual Policy Forum pod coming out on Friday, so look out for that. And I'll be back on Monday. Thank you for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.